Welcome to the 142nd installment of Ear to the Ground, the Land Stewardship Project's audio podcast on family farming, sustainable agriculture, local food systems, and local democracy. I'm Brian DeVore, editor of the Land Stewardship Letter. On a wintry Saturday in January 2014, over 225 people gathered in the southeast Minnesota community of Winona for the Land Stewardship Project's Citizens Frack Sand Summit. This day-long event provided an opportunity for citizens to address one of the region's most pressing environmental issues, the mining of silica sand for use in hydraulic fracturing of oil and gas reserves. It turns out southeast Minnesota and western Wisconsin have vast amounts of just the kind of silica sand the industry is looking for. During the past few years, western Wisconsin in particular has experienced a kind of gold rush as massive corporations work to strip mine as much sand as possible and ship it to oil and gas drilling operations in places like Texas and North Dakota. The result has been decimated landscapes. Entire hilltops have been removed, ruining farmland and eliminating the natural water purifying services that sand can provide. In addition, frack sand processing facilities are producing air and water pollution. To top it off, rural roadways are being inundated with an unprecedented amount of truck traffic that's dangerous, polluting, and harmful to the transportation infrastructure of small communities. Now the frack sand industry has its eyes on southeast Minnesota and has in recent years used intimidation, government lobbying, and in some cases outright misinformation to get a foothold in the region. But citizens are fighting back. With the help of the Land Stewardship Project, several communities have established moratoriums on frack sand mining and processing while they develop planning and zoning regulations. In addition, LSP members and others have been organizing at the state capitol, where they are calling for strict regulations on frack sand activities, including an outright ban on the industry in southeast Minnesota's fragile karst region. The Frack Sand Citizen Summit brought people together from around the region to share strategy, learn from experts, and strengthen the movement to keep frack sand mining from destroying communities in southeast Minnesota and beyond. Featured speakers included citizens, local government experts, farmers, energy experts, and scientists, who are doing cutting-edge research on the effects of silica sand exposure. This podcast begins a series of programs featuring excerpts of presentations from LSP's Frack Sand Citizen Summit. In this installment, LSP board member Tex Hawkins talks about the unique nature of the driftless region in the upper Mississippi River Valley and why it is so vulnerable to being ruined by frack sand mining and processing activities. Hawkins is a retired watershed biologist for the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service and currently serves as Winona State University's Sustainability Advisor. Welcome to Winona, the heart of the upper Mississippi River watershed, the Blufflands, the Driftless Area. I think of the Driftless Area as a buffer zone for the Mississippi River, characterized by farms, meadows, and streams. I picture it as a pretty idyllic setting, beautiful, peaceful, productive, harmonious. Well, hold on to that thought. Winona is surrounded by silica mines, storage piles, processing and loading facilities, loading trucks, trains, barges, chugging through town, belching out diesel fumes, leaking silica dust. A while back I rode in an airplane over the bluffs, from Red Wing down to Decorah, it reminded me of dental work. The bluffs were like molars, they were pockmarked with white, gaping cavities, hollowed out, lacking fillings. The excess tracks of trucks and machinery tied everything together, kind of like bridge work. 
From the ground, the spreading decay was, of course, hidden from view, I suppose for cosmetic purposes. As we continued flying beyond the blufflands, I could picture in my mind's eye thousands and thousands of drilling rigs, pipelines, refineries, preparing to export fossil energy to Asia, perhaps. I could picture Arctic platforms locked in the ice, poison tar sand impoundments across the Canadian Athabasca Delta, shale fracking fields across the eastern and western states leaking polluted fluids into surface and groundwater, and blighted beaches and coastal marshes of a once flourishing Gulf Coast where migratory birds could once stop and rest and feed. I wonder today how much of the nation's beauty and health will ultimately be sacrificed in an effort to meet worldwide demand for fossil energy. I wonder just how far our country's present all of the amount above energy policies will take us, knowing that this really means burn fossil fuels first. Burn them all. Will trade agreements, fast-tracked by corporate greed, political corruption, and media complicity, mean extraction and combustion at any cost? We've witnessed the historic effects of coal mining. We've seen the results of fracking on people and landscapes in North Dakota and Pennsylvania. Is our driftless area next on the list? What about global warming? Does suicide somehow justify ecocide? Are people ready to accept that ecocide is nothing but suicide? I think most of us, perhaps all of us, are here because we love the land and the people we know as neighbors. That includes frackers, frackies, and everybody in between. If actions benefit few at the expense of many, it won't work. The challenge is to find better pathways for everyone by applying ethical standards and forming effective partnerships. Winona is the Dakota word for firstborn daughter. I think that our Winona may have been the daughter of Chief Wabashaw. Mayor Peterson might want to correct me on that. She may or may not have jumped off the cliff near Maiden Rock when refused permission to marry. But we do know that Chief Wabashaw saw many of his people killed and forced to leave the land they loved along the Mississippi River and ending up scattered to reservations across the Great Plains. Each year, thanks to the Winona Dakota Unity Alliance, the descendants of Chief Wabasha and his people return for a reconciliation homecoming, where we celebrate right relations with the earth and each other. Last fall, Mayor Peterson signed a covenant of friendship with representatives of the Dakota Nation, agreeing to recognize and respect natural law as a template for future peace and prosperity. Today, we're here to build community while learning some things about sand, society, and hidden shifts and, and sudden shifts in climate. The city of Winona is built on sand. It was originally an island in the Mississippi, which flows past here over a 300-foot thick deposit of sand, carried in by glacial runoff after the ice ages. This sand was once bed load, washed clean and scoured smooth over 10,000 years. The sand under our feet is not the same sand as dusty crystalline silica that is freshly dug out of sandstone bluffs and crushed for shipment to distant fracking sites. It's not the same sand. This is the material that is being trucked into Winona over the bridge, the old bridge, from mines on the Wisconsin side over highway networks converging on the Minnesota side. This traffic could increase greatly and the silica it is bringing into town for storage, processing, loading, and shipment presents health and safety risks 
that are not yet fully understood. But we can thank LSP, CASM, Isaac Walton League, and our learning institutions especially for doing their best to keep people informed and engaged. And that's what I hope we do today, is learn about it. Luckily, we're also living in a land of Leopold, the land of Leopold, where an ethical position has been developed and tested that can be used to aid individual judgment and institutional decision-making. Although Leopold, I hope he's up there, yes he is, is widely considered the father of modern conservation. He was born and raised on a bluff overlooking the Mississippi River in Burlington, Iowa. He eventually became the nation's first professor of wildlife ecology, then known as game management. Writing the first textbook on the subject and hundreds of technical papers, Leopold also pioneered what's known as restoration ecology today. During this nation's last catastrophic climate and economic crisis, the Dust Bowl and the Great Depression of the 1930s, Leopold developed the first watershed partnership with the great soil conservationist Hugh Hammond Bennett. The project was located in Coon Creek Watershed just south of La Crosse, Wisconsin, and Leopold published his report titled An Adventure in Con Cooperative Conservation in the American Journal of Forestry in 1935. We use this model in developing our own watershed partnerships on the Whitewater and other streams in the 1980s. Many other projects have followed and today there are watershed partnerships throughout Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Iowa. I think that Leopold's land ethic is de described in his classic book, The Sand County Almanac, that you see up here, published after he died in the late 1940s, can provide us with an important key to a sustainable future. For more information on the Citizens for Act Sand Summit, see www.landstewardshipproject.org and follow the Organizing for Change links to the page called Report from the Citizens for Act Sand Summit. If you have comments or suggestions about this podcast, contact Brian DeVore at bdevore at landstewardshipproject.org or call 612-722-6377. Thanks to Laura Borgendale, Western Minnesota musician, for Ear to the Ground's theme music. And a special thank you to all of Land Stewardship Project's members who make initiatives such as this podcast possible. If you're not a member, visit landstewardshipproject.org to learn how you can support LSP. Thanks for listening.